Go ahead and open your Bible to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible with you today, then there should be one provided for you in the chair in front of you underneath. It's hardback and black. And you will find 2 Corinthians 1 on page 964 of the chair Bible. And while you are finding your way there, I just want to say again how uh, deeply grateful I am to the Lord for the privilege that you allow me to have to serve you every week in opening up the Bible and teaching the Bible. This is a tremendous privilege that I get to teach the Bible every week. It is sincerely one of the greatest joys of my life, and so thank you for allowing me to serve you Uh, again. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we started a new series last week, and we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 3. What we'll do is uh, I'll go ahead and pray. I'll read the verses and then I'll pray and then we'll get to work. Generally, it will be around 45 minutes or so in these, these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Would you pray together with me? Father, I recognize this morning that I can bring no comfort to your people. And whatever affliction they have, their comfort doesn't come from their pastor. Their comfort comes from the chief shepherd, from the Lord Jesus. And so as much as you would enable me, I pray that I would be able to speak what is true and right from your word and explaining this text to your people in order that they may be able to get to have a true and right glimpse of the Lord Jesus, to see Him, to know Him, and through that sight and knowledge, be comforted by Him. Lord, open our eyes and open our ears this morning. Clear away the fog and the mist so that we can see Your Son clearly. Pray that You would do this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Charlie Brown was looking his usual shade of gloomy, but it must have been a particularly gloomy day because on this particular day, Lucy noticed. And for Lucy to notice others is a thing in and of itself. So she sets up her famous roadside psychiatric stand, five cents per consultation, and Charlie Brown sits down. Lucy I feel inferior, Charlie says. 
Oh, says the doctor. You shouldn't worry about that, Charlie Brown. Lots of people have that feeling. Lots of people feel inferior, Charlie asked. No, says Lucy. Lots of people feel that way about you. It's a pretty old comic, but it still rings true. It still hits a nerve in us. There's something in us that pushes back against inferiority. Something that in us that rejects weakness. There's a little bit of Lucy in all of us that sees weakness either in ourselves or in someone else. And rather than bringing help there, pounces. Lifts the football at the last moment to have a good laugh. It seems that all of us are born with an innate sense, an innate innate longing for the want to be powerful and strong, competent, or at least to appear that way. I remember when I was in grade school, there was one of my friends who wasn't afraid to ask questions. I remember admiring him because he wasn't afraid to admit that he didn't know something that everyone else clearly did. I must have been not more than 10 years old, but I remember that that stuck with me. I admired that about him. Probably I remember this because I'm not like that. I'm often afraid to ask questions because I don't want to appear as if I don't know something. It seems in my mind at least... That's a weakness, not knowing something. That, that exposes you for being incompetent. And even today, I struggle with admitting there's things I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to have the answers. I'm supposed to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. But this job regularly puts me into situations where at a hospital bedside, I have to say, I don't know. We fear not knowing because it questions our qualifications and our competence. We fear weakness. Maybe maybe you're like that. Maybe you hide what you do for a living because you're concerned that it shows that you haven't amounted to much. I was telling some friends last night I once worked with a guy who, on his online dating profile, his, he listed his job as a consultant for a large electronics firm based in Texas. He was a salesman at Radio Shack. I mean, you couldn't very well have the hotties online knowing that he worked in retail, right? That would be weak and un- un- unaccomplished. Well, we Americans seem to have been bred with an allergy for weakness. But our God does not share our view of weakness. Every character in the Bible, when you read it, you'll find have been afflicted in some way, set back in another way. There's adversity that they see. There's loss. And sometimes, most of the time, actually, it's their own fault. And the Bible shows that the road to spiritual maturity weaves and winds through many dark valleys. That's just the way of things. Affliction is used by God to wean us off of ourselves from depending on our own strength, 
to equip us to trust Him and to enable us to help others. That's the main point of our text today. So as I said, we started a new series last Sunday called By Faith, Not By Sight. We're going to give the next several months together in going through verse by verse the book of 2 Corinthians. And I said this last week, there's a long and storied history between the old Apostle Paul and his beloved Corinthian church. And if if you weren't here last Sunday, I can say you can go online to our website and you can listen to the background of this letter. Our ever-faithful tech team has made sure that the audio and the video is available to you. And so you can kind of get caught up. But just suffice it to say, 2 Corinthians is the fourth letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. They, they had this long history uh, of, together with one another, spanning almost a decade. The church was started by the Apostle Paul. He spent some time there preaching Jesus. The Lord uh, used his preaching to bring people to faith and repentance. And they were baptized into the church at Corinth. And after that, he left Corinth and he wrote them a letter. And he gave them some instructions in that letter, and it seems that they didn't really receive that letter very well, and Paul got word that there was conflict going on in the church. In fact, the church at Corinth writes Paul a letter asking him a bunch of questions, and Paul responds to their letter, and Paul's response to their letter is what we call the book of 1 Corinthians. Well, it seems that 1 Corinthians didn't quite have the effect that Paul was hoping it would have on the Corinthian church. They didn't respond well, and they didn't repent for some of the sins that were going on in their church. And so Paul has to schedule an emergency visit to Corinth. He calls it his painful visit. And this painful visit did not go well. Paul was openly opposed by the church at Corinth. And he actually leaves Corinth after that painful visit, not having had any good effect on them. He leaves disappointed and rejected and largely ignored. So he writes them another letter. This one, a scathing letter, a very harsh in its tone kind of letter. Well, praise be to God, it seems that that severe letter had its desired effect. The Holy Spirit used Paul's letter to bring the Corinthian church to repentance. And Titus reports to him that they have repented. And so Paul writes another letter, a fourth one, back to the church at Corinth, and it's delivered by Titus. And that letter that he wrote, the fourth one, is the one that we begin studying here before us today. And although this letter is 2,000 years old nearly, it will speak to many of the root issues that we deal with today in our churches. It will address our attraction to power, our aversion to weakness. Second Corinthians will diagnose our fascination with flashy things, our dislike of anything that's fragile. It will expose the Lucy in all of us. And if we submit to God's Holy Spirit and we fix our eyes on the glories of Jesus in this book, this letter will set our feet on a firm foundation. It will deepen our joy in God. It will broaden our fruitfulness. And it will widen our hearts to those around us. I'm expecting the Lord will use the letter of 2 Corinthians to bring all of us closer to making Jesus all and all in our lives to the glory of God and the good of our church. 
Well, let's begin in verse 3. We left off there last week. The apostle writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Last Lord's Day, we saw Paul beginning this letter to the Corinthian church by revealing who God is. And we saw why that was important. More than we need to see who we are, more than we need to see our problems, we need to see who God is. In the psalm that opened our service this morning, the psalmist prays, Why so downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. There in that psalm, we see the psalmist training his soul to not look to himself in the midst of his problems. But take, take his eye off of his problems and to put his eyes on God. It's just like Peter being called to walk out on the water. Everything was going very well until he took his eyes off of Jesus and started to look at the wind and to realize what he was doing. And then he began to sink. We all must train our souls in the midst of our afflictions, that whatever they are, to look to Christ and through him to find comfort. Paul reveals that God is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of mercies. He is the God of all comfort. That is who He is. And that's what we saw last week. Well, we didn't have time last week to see how He is who He is. How is it that God is the Father of mercies? How can God be the God of all comfort? Especially, how can that be true of Him when He's relating to Sinners like us. Well, if you went to Sunday school for any amount of time, you already know what the answer is, right? Whenever you're having any question in Sunday school about what the answer is, if you weren't paying attention and the teacher picks on you and says, what's the answer? You say, Jesus. Jesus is the answer. That's, ex- that's implicit in, verses th- in verse 3, which we just read, but it becomes explicit in verse 5. Take a look at verse 5. Notice how comfort comes to us in verse 5. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Christ is the conduit of God's mercy and comfort. You see, this is because everyone in this room has turned from God. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We've each one turned to our own way. We believed effectively that we knew better than God. And we left God. We turned from God, the source of life. We sought to make our own life in our own way. But instead of finding life, we only found death. We left the source of meaning. Sought to find our own meaning. Make our life mean something our own way. And all that we found was emptiness. It's like what Jeremiah put it like this. He said, we went after worthlessness and became worthless. In so doing, we brought God's righteous judgment on ourselves. When you forsake the only well of living water, all that's left is poison. And yet God in his infinite kindness, while we were still sinners, sent Christ to die for us. The Bible says that God laid on him our iniquities, the iniquity of us all. 
He was smitten by God. He was afflicted by God. The wrath of God for our sin was poured out on Jesus in our place. And he died the death we deserve to die. And God raised Jesus to new life. And through him has granted that new life to all who turn to him by faith. Jesus took our sin and gave us his righteousness. And for this reason, God is the Father of all mercy. And for this reason, God is the God of all comfort. Because God is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. His mercy and His comfort comes to you and I through His Son. Those who are in Christ will only ever know God as merciful and kind and gracious and loving. If you're a guest with us today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you pick the perfect day to come to church. This message is custom made for you. You need to know that without Jesus, there's only judgment for your sins. Turn from your sins. Trust in Christ. You'll be granted eternal life. And you'll find a peace with God that many who are sitting in this room have known. I want you to know that it, if, if you've never done that before, you can do that today. You can turn from your sins, you can trust in Christ and reach out to anyone around you. And I know, these are my friends, and I know that they would be happy to tell you more about who Jesus is and how you can be saved from the penalty of your sins through him. Jesus is the conduit of God's mercy and grace. And because of Jesus, that's how we know that God is for us, not against us. Dear Christian, whatever affliction the Lord has you in, whatever setback you're enduring, whatever difficulty and hardship in your life, whatever loss you're being called to endure, know this, God is for you. God is for you. We know that's true because he sent his own son to pay the ultimate price to earn your freedom from sin. We read this in Romans chapter 8. God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Jesus is the conduit of God's comfort. So as you turn to him, you will find God full of mercy full of comfort. But that mercy and that comfort, I want you to see from this text, is not meant to stay with you. It's not meant to land on you and to just stay there. No, this comfort is meant to flow through you. For just like Jesus was a conduit of God's mercy and grace to us, we also become a conduit of God's comfort to others. That's what we see in verses 4 to 6. God who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we, which, which we have received ourselves and comforted from God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. 
If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Now, you'd be hard-pressed to find a man more afflicted than the Apostle Paul. As a servant of God, he has endured many hardships. He's endured calamity and countless beatings and imprisonments, riots and labors and sleepless nights, hunger, exposure to cold, mistreatment, rejection. Five times he received 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned and left for dead. Three times he was shipwrecked. Three times he was shipwrecked. Who keeps letting him get on their boats? He spent a day and a night adrift at sea. He says, I'm in danger when I'm on the river. I'm in danger when I'm with, around robbers. Dangers from Jews. Dangers from Gentiles. Danger from the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger from the sea. Danger from fake Christians. Everywhere the guy goes, he's in danger. Besides that, he is afflicted because of the weight weighing heavy on him. The anxiety that he has for all the churches under his care. So Paul knew affliction better than any. And you're going to find throughout this letter, strangely, counterintuitively, those afflictions become the qualifications for his ministry. When the Corinthians ask him, well, why should we listen to you, Paul? He points to his weaknesses. Just strange reasoning to us. Is that what you're looking for in a pastor? Weakness? Inferiority? A man who suffered great affliction? Who's been beaten down in life? Who's wrestled with God and lost? Or are you looking for a, a, a conqueror? A man who's strong, eloquent, good-looking. Come to the wrong place. The Bible says that the Corinthians found Paul to be underwhelming. He didn't have a commanding presence. He's not like one of those guys when you walk in the room, he fills up the room. You know those kind of people? That's not Paul. He probably wasn't a very good speaker. There were plenty better preachers than Paul. He wasn't very good looking. It's likely that he carried the scars of all of his beatings on his body. He probably had very poor eyesight because at the end of Galatians, he says, see what, what large letters I'm writing you with. So for those of you who have upgraded to those large print Bibles, Paul's your boy. I mean, he gets you comfort in any affliction. The question is, well, why would Paul commend himself to the Corinthians on the basis of his afflictions? So when they ask, why should we listen to you, Paul? And he says, because of my weaknesses. What was his reasoning? Because that's not the answer I would have given. I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe think about the last time you sat down with somebody who's not a Christian and you were sharing the gospel and they kind of gave you the kind of answer of like, why should I listen to you? Well, because I've studied. I have degrees and stuff. 
I'm really smart. Can't you tell by the way I'm speaking? I have all these books in my Have you been to my office? You need to come to my office. I've got a lot of books. That's not what Paul did. Paul knows this. Through the afflictions he suffered, through his own weaknesses, he's come to know the immediate and unshakable comfort in God. Cornerstone, there are shades of God's beauty that only appear under the dim light of suffering. Some of you in this room know that beauty. In those weaknesses, in your afflictions, God shows himself powerful and strong. That's Paul's commendation of himself and ministry. I've known the comforts of God, and I can share them with you. I love what commentator David Garland writes when he's describing God's comfort. He says, The comfort that Paul has in mind here has nothing to do with the langorious feeling of contentment. It's not some tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls pain, but a stiffening agent that fortifies one in heart and mind and soul. Comfort relates to encouragement, help, exhortation. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance, end quote. Knowing God in that way, the God of comfort who is unceasingly faithful enables Paul to bring the certainty of God's comfort to the Corinthian church. Now there in verse four are two, two little paradigm-shifting words that you should see. Two words that will forever change the way you view suffering in your life. Two words, so that, so that. Paul says that he's been comforted by God in his affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Paul expects that the comfort that he's received will overflow his life onto others. That's what he means in verse 5 and 6 when he says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Friend, that's true of all of us. Whatever afflictions you are called to endure, God will be faithful to you to show you his comfort. However deep your suffering, deeper still are the comforts of Christ. But those comforts are designed with a purpose in mind. Two, to be exact. One is to bring you relief as you trust in the Lord through that affliction. But the second is so that you'll be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. It seems like Paul is saying here that our relief is not the only point in God's comfort. It seems that he is saying that the point is not just to ease your pain. It seems that he's saying 
that God is having us endure affliction in order that he might teach us something of himself so that we can teach someone else about what we learned. How does that change the way you view suffering? Maybe affliction is designed by God to conform you to be a conduit to comfort others. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not inclined to think of my weaknesses in that way. I don't usually view weaknesses as accoutrements to the gospel. I generally view my weaknesses and my inferiorities and my ineptitudes as a hindrance to the gospel. But God uses our afflictions to show the greatness of His grace. And He hangs over our life a banner that reads, Look, if He can use that guy, maybe He can use you too. Again, David Garland is so helpful here. He writes, Sometimes the sudden onslaught of affliction may tempt one to retreat into a shell. To shut oneself off from others. The suffering, however, then becomes purposeless. Those who focus only on themselves are the most miserable of people. The persons who turn their pain to helping others can redirect and conquer that pain. Paul knew how to encourage because he knew what it was like to be discouraged. He knew how to comfort because he knew what it was like to feel unbearably crushed. He knew how to console others because he knew what it was like to be at the end of his tether. End quote. According to we would do well to heed the admonishment of Dr. Garland. When we only consider the effect of God's comfort in bringing us relief, we render our afflictions purposeless. How can you say that, pastor? I've been comforted. That's a purpose. But you see, the Bible is always restructuring and reorienting the center of gravity in our life. No less here, we find out that we actually aren't the center of the universe. That our comfort, that our relief, that our happiness is not God's goal in the universe. That God's purposes are not always our purposes. I wonder what might happen if we all began to view afflictions as windows through which we would see our frailty and God's ability. I wonder what might happen if we all began to view setbacks as the Lord's grace to teach us patience. And equip us to help others to be patient. I wonder if we would begin to, what would happen if we began to view loss as actually gain. Not as a reminder of what we don't have. But as a reminder of the satisfactions that we do have in Christ. And share that with others. Well, I think if we began to do that, it might very well make possible Paul's instructions at the end of verse 6 where he says, patiently endure suffering. 
patiently endure suffering. How we late modern people need to hear this. Patiently endure suffering. We don't patiently endure about anything. We can't patiently endure waiting in line at rapid fire pizza, let alone unanswered prayers. One of the differences between an old, mature Christian and a young, immature Christian is that an old, mature Christian has had to hear the Lord say, not yet, be patient for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40. And that, that gives her brilliant depth perception. I love Pastor Mark Dever puts it like this. He says, young people tend to overestimate what God will do in one year and underestimate what God will do in 10. I think that's true. There's something that older saints who've had to endure patiently for decades can teach all of us. But be encouraged, dear friends, and, and listen to the wise words of the older saints who know God is not delayed in answering His prayers. He is precisely on time all the time. You might be long in praying for an unsaved family member. You might be long in praying for a friend battling some addiction. You might be long in praying for a healing You might be single and long in praying for a spouse. You might not have children and be long in praying for them. You might be long in praying for a better job or for troubles in your marriage or reconciliation with a broken friendship. Dear one, know this. Your God is not delayed. He is not bound by circumstance or situation. He's calling you to wait to endure, to be patient, to trust His timing, to suffer well as you do, and to keep your heart wide open so that you would learn patience and through that patience be able to equip you to help others as they have to wait. Spend some time, if you're praying long in things, spend some time with older saints, Christians, with wrinkles. They'll help you with your depth perception. They know the comfort that comes from the Lord after having to wait many years on Him. And they have the benefit of those decades of being able to look back on all those years that He had them wait and to say, His timing was perfect. Patience will be granted to you and will enable you to encourage others. The Lord brought the Apostle Paul through abundant afflictions to bring comfort and the gospel of salvation to the Corinthian church. And he'll bring you through the very same thing to bring the gospel of his faithfulness to others. He comforts us in all our afflictions that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we have received from Him. Don't 
waste your afflictions. Well, there's one, one more thing I want to say before I wrap up in verse 7. I want you to notice uh, one little word there in verse 4 when Paul says that he and Timothy have been comforted in all their afflictions. This is so that they would be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. I want you to notice that word, any. In an individualistic society like ours, this will cut across the grain in a couple of ways. First, we, we often tell ourselves, well, Look, I don't know what it's like to be her. I haven't had to endure the same things that she's had to endure. I can't really speak to that problem because I've never had that problem. Nonsense. The hope that you have found in Christ is not bound by your circumstance. Of course, you don't know what it's like to be that person. Of course, you don't know what it's like to be addicted to opiates if you've never been addicted to opiates. But you still know the solution to those who are. Yes? You may not know what it's like to have to endure infidelity in your marriage, but you do know the comfort of those who have had to. No matter what affliction it is, Cornerstone, if you know the God of all comfort, then you can comfort anyone in their afflictions. Well, it cuts across the grain in another way, too. In our afflictions, as we're enduring afflictions, we're often tempted to think to ourselves, no one knows what it's like to be me. You've not been down that road. You've not had to walk in my shoes. Don't you give me your nonsense. You don't know what it's like. Dear friend, that's a sad and lonely place to be. Of course, no one knows what it's like to be you. There's only one you. And your afflictions are custom designed by God, fit for your life, no one else's. Of course, we don't know what it's like to be you. But you should also understand that the same God who brings us comfort in our afflictions is able to comfort you in yours. There's room for all around His throne. And though it's Likely, we, not, we may not be able to empathize with you and your afflictions. We can certainly sympathize. For we ourselves have also been afflicted and comforted. And we can pray for you. And we can hope with you. And we can, doggone it, we can listen with you. Look, if God puts you into a situation where you have a friend who's going through something you've never went through before, all that that should cause you to do is to just listen twice as long. But the answer is still the same. It's the same Sunday school answer. It's the same answer we give every Sunday we gather. Look to Jesus. Somehow your comfort's there. I don't know how. But it's there. Look to Jesus. So friends, don't be afraid to let others in. Don't be afraid. 
don't, look, you don't have to let everyone in. But you should let some. Don't withhold praise from God that He deserves from using His weak servants to comfort you in your affliction with the comfort that He's given to them in theirs. Verse 7, and we'll close here. A couple more minutes. Paul says, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Our hope is unshaken. There's hope for these crazy Corinthians. The apostle has not lost hope. Go back and re-listen to last week's sermon and you'll learn all the history that Paul had with this broken church. And he says, our hope for you is unshaken. Paul is trusting the Lord Jesus will show himself faithful to the Corinthian church. And though they have to endure setbacks and loss and difficulty, and though they show sin and have to repent of their sins, he knows this, Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There's hope in God because God is faithful. God will not abandon his own. He didn't abandon the Corinthian church. He's not going to abandon Cornerstone Piqua. And he's most certainly not going to abandon you. Though you suffer long, turn to him. And in your turning, use that suffering to find in him the satisfaction that you're longing for. And let that satisfaction overflow your life to someone else. Use affliction to equip you to bring hope to others. I ask you to marinate your heart, marinate your American independent soul in the enriching brine of 2 Corinthians. Let God's word tenderize your hard heart. Submit yourself to the Spirit of God and see if He won't show Himself faithful to you through whatever circumstance He has you in. See if He won't bring you through, freshly renewed and more able to help others. Don't waste your affliction. Certainly there's going to be plenty of times in your life when the Lucy in your life pulls the football and you fall flat on your back. But hey, Before you get up, while you're laying on your back, look to the stars and through them see the Lord Jesus. See the comfort that God has for you in that moment of weakness, in your ineptitude, in your inferiorities. See God. They're not problems to be fixed. They're windows to see God. Look for God And his all-satisfying presence there. And I think you'll find in that moment that's exactly what you've been looking for 
the whole time. Please stand to your feet for the prayer of confession. We take a moment at the end of our service and we go before the Lord again in prayer. And we confess our needs. We confess our sins before Him. And at the end, we receive an assurance of pardon for those who are trusting in Him by faith. So let's pray together. All praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Lord, we thank You for You have once again shown Your great kindness to us in revealing Yourself to us. We've seen you today as our comforter, as the master of our fate, as the Lord of our lives. We truly serve a good God. We confess, Lord, that for so long we have viewed afflictions wrongly. We thought them to be problems to be solved. Weakness is a problem that we needed to solve in us. We viewed weakness as chinks in our armor. Lord, we've become so addicted to power and might that we've lost our way. And we thank you for bringing us back today to what is right and true. Will you forgive us, your people, for trusting in ourselves, in our strengths instead of in your Son? We repent for acting the opposite way Jesus told us to act. In this world, you will have tribulation. But never fear, I've overcome. Lord, we repent for putting our best foot forward rather than trusting in your spirit. Will you forgive us for having wasted our suffering? Will you forgive us for withdrawing from afflictions? For fearing what others might think? And neglecting to seek the help that you have provided for us? through our church family. Will you enable us to trust the Lord, to risk misunderstanding as we seek to obey you? And Lord, for those in this room who are now enduring affliction, will you comfort them? Will you enable them to know your comfort? Will you put them into contact with brothers and sisters in this church? to endure well the road you've laid out before them. Will you teach them your comfort? Will you grant to them a voice to teach us about your comfort? Give us ears to hear what the Spirit has said today. For your glory, for our good, and for the furtherance of the kingdom, we pray.